From Los Angeles, California, this is Burncast and I'm the bomb. Happy Tutu Tuesday and welcome to the show. In today's episode, we speak to John Oda of TeaAlchemy.org, who is a tea master and the lead TJ at the Tea Temple installation that has been to Burning Man for the past two years. We'll also hear from Moses Ma in our new Burncast segment, This is Burning Man. But first, the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. First of all, I want to thank all of you that voted for me in the Public Radio Talent Quest. The winners of round one were announced last Tuesday, and although I didn't make the top 10, I did make it in the top 100 or the top 7% of the contestants. That sort of support really felt great, and I want to thank everybody so much. Second up on the Burncast Community Bulletin Board is another message for Doll Parts, who is now out of ICU and in a transitional unit and on the mend. The following message is for Doll Parts. Hey, Doll Blank. It's Neon. Do I sound like a guy to you? Hey, get well, get back on tribe soon. I miss you tremendously. You heard her, Doll. Get well soon. We really miss you on tribe. Next up on the Burncast Community Bulletin Board is a question we want to put to all our listeners, which is, what is Burning Man? Is it art? Fire? Fun? Work? Play? Burncast has asked our guests in almost every episode, and no two answers are the same. Now we're asking you. This is an invitation to participate in an ongoing community effort to engage burners in writing, sharing, and discussing the core values, personal beliefs, and experiences as to the meaning of Burning Man and the wonderful community of Black Rock City. Author Brian Doherty wrote the book, This is Burning Man, and he used 104,614 words to do it. Now we're asking you to tell us what Burning Man means to you by sending us an essay of 500 words or less. Every essay we receive is read and reviewed for potential podcast on Burncast. This is an ongoing project with no deadline. If your essay is selected, you will be contacted by Burncast to be invited to read your piece for an upcoming episode. Today's featured essay is from Moses Ma. What's truly remarkable for me is when Moses was told his essay was accepted, he had enough technical experience to actually produce the entire segment. So here it is, Moses Ma with his essay on This is Burning Man. Let me put it like this. Burning Man is the closest you will ever get to another planet. It's like a planet with a hostile environment, like Mercury. It's oppressively hot during the day and freezing at night. And when I say hot, I mean to say that the heat is so hot that it's literally pressing you into the ground like a new kind of force. Call it thermal gravity. And all you can do is try to fight against this heat by feebly raising a spray bottle inside of your pup tent and spraying some water as protest. Ah. Ah. Every time the atomizer releases a fine mist of evaporative cooling, a wave of pleasure races through your nervous system. Ah, but it doesn't last for long. Fortunately, during the long journey of hot as hell high noon to, I kid you not, freezing to death at night, the temperature passes through something more moderate, something that could sustain life. As a result, late afternoons are my favorite time of day on the playa when cool winds appear out of nowhere. During this time, it's like being on another planet still, but one where the atmosphere is hospitable, and the strange aliens are oddly friendly. These aliens bear gifts of snacks and martinis, but still they're pretty bizarre. Just standing there watching burners walk around feels a little like having ingested a mild hallucinogenic. During these afternoon jaunts, you will discover that the most amazing thing at Burning Man is the art. There's better art here than in any gallery in New York, and Burning Man is undoubtedly the most important art exhibition in the world. These gatherings will someday be remembered as the equivalent to Paris salons during the Impressionist era. But to me, the people themselves were the greatest works of art. 
There's something about the light bouncing off the playa that makes people look more beautiful. It's the reason photographers love shooting in the desert. Well, the next major dislocation of social familiarity is caused by this thing they call the gift economy. It's so foreign that it could probably unnerve any red-blooded Republican forcing him to curl into a fetal ball in a 70-foot RV, wondering what the world had come to because he couldn't buy dinner, a drink, or some pussy. But for me, the negation of money meant I didn't have to suffer the obligation of consuming the kind of food that food vendors sell at the typical street fair. Instead, as I walked along the streets, people would yell to me, Hey, you want some lemonade? Or, we're giving away tea and cookies? Or, how about a nice margarita? I tell you, nothing, nothing can be as refreshing as a free ice-cold popsicle given to you from out of nowhere on the playa. They designed Burning Man in a pentagram for a reason. The goal was to create a place of power, of magic, of transformation, of lucky coincidence. People all around me were mentioning it all the time, like, Oh wow, that's weird, I was just thinking about you. And there you are. Yeah, there's magic at Burning Man, and that's the secret sauce. So fingers crossed, let's magically meet on the playa. That was Moses Ma with his essay on This is Burning Man. If you would like to participate in this ongoing project, feel free to submit an essay of 500 words or less by visiting burncast.net and click on the This is Burning Man box. Okay, that about wraps things up for the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. If you would like to contact us, call the Burncast hotline at 206-350-1416 or leave us an audio message by clicking on the My Chingo button at our website, burncast.net. Let's get on with today's episode. The Tea Temple is a space dedicated to the preparation and offering of sacred tea as a celebration of and service to humanity. Designed and built by some members of my Burning Man family, the temple's crew are an eclectic group of artists, thinkers, and builders. Many are working professionals in the film and television industry as well as other creative fields. The inspiration for the structure is an athenor or alchemical chamber where elements combine to form new substances greater than the sum of their parts. Preparing tea itself is alchemy in that the preparation is a dance of the five elements to transform inert, dried, dead leaves and tasteless water into liquid gold that has a capacity to bring clarity and delight to the drinker. At the center of the tea temple is an octagonal serving table where rare tea and other exotic elixirs are served by a different mix of TJs all night long, hence the motto Nunquam Dormio, translated to mean we never sleep. One venerated TJ, Tea Master John Oda, prepares semi-oxidized rare oolong and serves it according to the dictates of Chinese tea art protocol. The hope is to serve hundreds and become a snug harbor for people to chill and meet day and especially at night as a kind of cozy oasis for those crossing the cold playa. 2007 marks the third year that the Tea Temple will return to the playa. In this recording, we begin with John Oda offering tea in ceremony to me and my fellow campmate and Burning Man sister, Jen, at her home in San Francisco, California on April 29, 2007.
space in our body, in our minds, in the cosmos. So one name of this tea is uh, Drunken Princess or Royal Courtesan, Royal Drunken Courtesan Princess. <laughs> it's kind of being coy right now. She's kind of shy. So I'm going to let it go a little longer. Why is it called? And what it's Royal called? Courtesan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think because um, or drunken princess because her flavor is it's uh, strong and subtle if you saw a, a drunken woman who is a princess then she has all the the kind of poise of her upbringing and all the looseness and bliss of being ripped but you know like in that kind of courtly life you'd probably do it with just a little restraint a little holding back but um, if we really go for it by like the third steeping, we'll probably have her all to ourselves and she <laughs> might be a little more unrestrained. <laughs> and now that's part of the tea ceremony is we have several rounds of tea. Why is that? Yeah. So this gentleman from France named uh, Dominique Pascalini, he wrote this book called The Time of Tea. And in it, he kind of looks at tea culture in the West. And what he found was that it was limited by the kind of trade limitations of that time, the technology, which meant you had to get ships from China across the Atlantic, or I mean, across the, is it across the Atlantic? <laughs> anyway, you had to get it across, across the ocean, <laughs> people figured out, to, uh, to England. And these kind of rare teas that we, we serve at the tea house, they're called Wulong teas. Those would never make it because they would just lose all their flavor en route. Black teas are hardy and will make it. What they found was that people were only able to drink black teas, which have a, have a certain kind of flavor, but it's kind of a standard flavor. Wulong teas are more like wine in that each season, you know, they'll be some good crops, I mean, according to the weather and, and the time they're picked even, and some years might not be as good, and even certain plots will have a unique flavor, even a certain tree, like a certain bush will have a flavor all its own, depending on the conditions and soil. I could go on and on about this, but so the thing about Wulong tea is the reason why it's like so coveted by tea crazy fanatics, tea masters in China is that the emphasis is on unique flavors of each cup, unique flavors of each steeping. And whole leaf teas, if they're prepared with attention, they um, can be steeped like five, seven, nine, eleven times, each with its own unique nuances of flavor. And in terms of flavor, I mean, tea masters talk about an initial taste, a body taste, and like an aroma or an aftertaste. And these aftertastes can linger in your throat for five minutes, ten minutes, if you um, are drinking really good wulong. So you can't get that from a, a tea bag. Tea bags are tea dust, and they give all of their gusto in one steeping, and that's it. And whole leaf teas, artisanal teas, they have much more endurance, like this beauty that we're drinking now. What was your first year at Burning Man? It was uh, 2000. I've been to Burning Man, I guess, five or six years, but I want to say that I've been to Burning Man five or six years, one year, or, or like once, five or six times, because... Um, I just want to emphasize, you know, like sometimes I hear people who go to Burning Man talk about it with this jaded kind of attitude. And I don't think it, I don't give a shit or I don't think it matters one bit how many years you've been. 
it's like the most exciting thing to m- about me uh, about Burning Man for me is um, the sense of wonder, the sense of uniqueness. It's like a container that's being emptied and full- filled, just like the tea house and just like the tea we're drinking. Just like I was speaking about uh, Wulong, it's a unique cup. It's a unique preparation. It's a unique appreciation, and that's like the sense of childhood wonder that I think is the best about Burning Man. What brings you back to Burning Man? It was great when I finally was able to kind of take the leap into bringing my own art, not just playing and appreciating other people's art, or just being generous and giving one-on-one with the people I was playing with there. That was two years ago. That was the first year we brought art. It was an incredible kind of synergistic moment that you know actually started here on Potrero Hill with Mark Holmes and Mike Murnane and myself just sitting down at this pizza joint and just starting to sketch out ideas about what we had in mind. I think um, my own challenges and my own creative process sometimes are about holding the reins too tightly and having like too much of a idea about it's got to be this way or there's going to be something missing. So those are the kind of challenges that I face when I'm creating. But um, I found that for the most part, there were so many gifts in just um, how many people contributed their unique beauty to the project and the way in which it all worked together under this roof of the five elements theory. So that's the underpinnings of the whole of tea alchemy is that um, we're using tea art as a way to express the harmony and dance of the five elements. And um, the five elements being space in the middle, wind in the north, Um, Space being blue in the middle, wind being green in the north, earth being yellow in the south or gold, fire being in the west, red, and water being in the east, white. You're actually talking about quintessential essences rather than the Chinese essences, because I'm noticing that metal is not present. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so instead of metal and wood, there are earth and um, wind. And so, I, yeah, I just want to emphasize that each alchemical mandala in, is true to its own tradition and really has no, you know, infringes not, not at all, doesn't infringe at all on any other alchemical tradition. So this one comes from both the Western alchemy and Eastern or Buddhist alchemy. They both have the same correspondences, at least in terms of directions. I think the thing that's most compelling and probably the most down-to-earth way to talk about alchemy is that, for one, we're moving out of the industrial age where we're back to maybe a kind of electronic global tribalism where we're trying to reclaim and heal and realize that we are a part of the earth, (laughs) that nature is not separate from us. Nature lives in us whether we like it or not, whether we recognize it or not, and the degree to which we recognize that we are a part of nature is the degree to which we can follow these little rivulets or vessels that lead us toward greater harmony. Now, your art, as you mentioned, is tea alchemy. Mm -hmm. How does tea alchemy relate to the Green Man theme this year? Well, I think it's, you know, it's kind of like Uh, our day in the sun because, um, you know, of the connection between the way tea grows, uh, the alchemy of how it's processed, the way that tea art is drinkable art, and we're actually able to drink the essence of mountains in China and the living essence of remote and pristine places. And so uh, one last thing about alchemy that I want to say before moving on is just that um, alchemy in its highest expression and its true expression is an expression of wholeness where we're healing divisions in the world. So like our culture really connects intelligence with knowing a bunch of things. 
like Neil Postman in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, writes about. We're stuck with this kind of crossword puzzle kind of culture where we know things, but we that what causes us all this pain is not knowing how they connect or how they're related to each other. So we're just lost in this whirlwind. How is knowledge different than wisdom? So, yeah, this is what I would say the difference is, is that wisdom is like seeing, having a unique appreciation for the flavor of each moment, but also seeing the larger design, the connection beneath the, the phenomenological or the experience, the unique kind of flavor of each moment. So I think that's what tea art is, it's, and what al- tea alchemy is, it's healing these divisions. So these five elements are placeholders for everything we can experience in the phenomenal world, like each finger, a time of day, organ systems, emotions, aspects of wisdom. So, and, and we could just look at everything and put it into this, this framework. So what we're left with is divisions being he- healed and correspondences, bridges being made between various experiences. Back to tea alchemy. If we look at how a tea plant grows, we could say that the air exchange, the you know, that the photosynthesis exchange is both breathing like a wind and also fire. You could say that the root You know, the rootedness is the manifestation of earth. The strength of the plant, the plant's body itself is connected with earth. You could also say that um, that space is like the presence of stoma, you know, uh, the the holes, the breathing holes within the leaves surface itself. Mm. Or you could say that without the space element, that the shoot and root would never be able to burst out of the seed itself. So we could look at the five elements dance as in terms of the growing of the plant itself. And we could also look at it in terms of how tea is prepared in that a vessel can't hold anything without space. Or when you heat water, which is fire, you get bubbles appearing spontaneously out of the water, which you could connect with the wind element. Mm The water itself is the mystery of infusion. The dance between fire, water, and earth is the mystery of infusion, and so on and so forth. So these correspondences don't need to be explicit. People can experience it directly, just watching tea being prepared in this way. And this kind of preparation, the kind of preparation for wulong tea that um, we do at the tea temple is... uh, called Gong Fu Cha, and it's Gong Fu is like Kung Fu. And so what the hell does tea have to do with Kung Fu? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because um, it's uh, one interpretation is it's great skill. So it's um, great skill only because not by like ostentatious affect to like, you know, I'm going to do it in like some kind of, you know, frou-frou kind of way. It's more like, what does it take to make this tea shine and bring out the best in it? Okay, I want to quote something from your website. You say, preparing tea involves ritual washing, mindful care during preparation, and a dedication to serving others. The container, if prepared correctly, holds the guests in a circle of community and delight. The container, if prepared correctly, is not rigid or brittle, but leaves room for spontaneity and wonder. Talk to me about tea and community. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to um, sip of this <laughs> We're pouring more tea. We're going to get tea drunk right now. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. We've just had the second round of the tea, and, it's, and the, the princess has gotten a little deeper on us. <laughs> <laughs> She's starting to sing. <clears throat> we are. <laughs> yeah, so, so the washing is... Washing is important in, like, a lot of rituals um, in a, terms of approach to epiphany. How it relates is that we bring all these ideas and expectations to creativity, and I really see um, my experience of spirituality as part of the creative, my creative expression, experience. As such, you know, I have to give something up in order to really be filled. It's like a cup that's full or a cup that's upside down cup that's cracked is not going to hold tea. So the washing of the vessels and preparation 
on the one hand, fulfills that function of opening to creativity, opening to newness. The other thing that it fulfills is what I would say is attunement. And uh, I guess you could say attunement is also connected with opening in that when I'm preparing tea, I want to make sure that the heat of the water just gives its all to the leaves so that the flavor comes out in a robust way. If the temperature is lost in heating the vessel, then there won't be that oomph of um, infusion. So, so part of washing is heating the vessels to attune it to the water that you're pouring into the tea, and likewise heating the cups so that they don't lose all their heat. So that's the washing part. And then what else did I say? (laughs) (laughs) You said mindful ritual washing, mindful care during preparation and dedication, holding the guests in a circle of community and delight. Yeah, so a couple times when I was talking about these artisanal teas being able to be steeped multiple times, that really depends on attention because steeping time, you know, it's there it's there's a certain beautiful kind of poetry in it. It's like with attention, it yields this um, cup of uh, golden wonder. With distraction, it yields a bitter ass cup. <laughs> <laughs> I have two questions. I'll start with the first one. How is tea drinkable art? So the tea ceremony that we did a couple years ago was really like um, like Fitzcarraldo, Werner Herzog, carry the fucking what's it called, um, riverboat over the mountain, because we brought a big doer of um, liquid nitrogen to make ice sculptures on Thursday, having arrived on Saturday the week before. It was our intention to do this tea ceremony where we started with five ice sculptures of the goddess Tara, and uh, they would be consecrated with our intentions and prayers so that they no longer would be just ordinary sculptures or objects, but that they would be actual physical forms, kind of the dance between form and space of wisdom. And as such, um, these sculptures would naturally melt, and we would collect that melted water, boil it, and make it into tea. So through the through this careful pres- preparation and uh, act of devotion, then um, we would actually drink the essence of this goddess and she would become part of us. Like a communion, in a way? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think for people who really aren't even religiously inclined, I mean, if we even just talk about nature and our relationship with nature, it's like the degree to which we are gratitude and wonder about the bounty of the earth. And when we eat, we acknowledge that the earth is cycling itself through us and that we're not separate. So, But talk to me about tea and community then. Wait, I'm going to have a sip while you think about this because I want to... Yeah, me too. Have the third um, round of the princess tea and... Oh, now she's a little bitter, but I like it. (laughs) (laughs) She's got a little bit of barley to her or something. That was John Oda, tea master and tea alchemist. We'll return to our conversation about tea and community after this short break.
bit of barley to her or something. So, community, um, the, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is back to the green man theme, is that all the work that I do, um, just not work, but <laughs> all the, the joy, the joy of like making and sharing tea with other people is like my own expression of just attuning to devotion to the earth and healing my relationship to the earth. As such, I see, you know, within this amazing flavors that it's gotten me really excited about looking to the connection with organic farmers and supporting these artisans who don't have huge commercial plots and are somehow that I'm connecting with, million, you know, thousands of miles away. So the thing about community for me is really that tea creates, if it's prepared with attention, then it creates this container for the cup of humanity. And that cup is, uh, thankfully, it's like based on enjoyment. It's like people getting together to celebrate and to enjoy the tasteful things of life. You know, I think I, I want to just underscore how like a lot of people's experience of tea is that it's a fucking impotent coffee or something or that it's like, you know, guys are just like, I don't drink tea. That's some like kind of celestial season bullshit or something like that. And um, I want to say that our tea house is, you know, on a couple levels, it's working as we're offering like the most precious commodity in the desert. And we're offering it until people are done. Like you could sit there and drink and I'll serve you until you turn your cup over. It's as tea art and connected with the green man, we're out there pushing water and, um, and <laughs> celebrating the, the life of the planet, you know, in that way, the life's blood of the planet. On another level, we're in the middle of the playa and we're there all through the night. Like our sign says, Nunquam Dormio. It's uh, got an eye with rays of light behind it in this Western alchemical motto that means we never sleep. So we try to live up to that. And, you know, for people partying on the playa, if you want a boost to kick you into the dawn, you should come check us out because, you know, the tea and the kind of intention and the, the, the sacred geometry of the space all just lends itself to like clarity, focus, and also a, a nice little healthy kick in the kidneys. <laughs> There's a lot of ritual and preparation that you do in service of the tea temple on the playa. And I notice a lot of people treat it like a bar and they don't get all the preparation and all the intention you've done behind all the work. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it goes back to Gong Fu Chao, what I talked about. So again, I, I just want to revisit, like, how is Chinese tea Gong Fu Chao different from, say, a Japanese tea ceremony? Well, there are two things that are pretty much the underpinnings of Gong Fu Chao. One is, how, what does it take to make really good tea? It takes, like I said, heating the vessel is just one part of it. But the other thing is, how do I serve in a way that is unobtrusive and makes the guests feel comfortable and at home? This kind of tea ceremony is really not based on ritual formality. It's not based on rigidity. It's not supposed to be esoteric, like unattainable or unapproachable. It's really much more like a earthy family style. And so as such... Like ohana. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Which is the Hawaiian word for community. Yes. <laughs> and family. So I feel grateful if people just come and, and just enjoy and they don't have to know. I'm there to answer anyone's questions and I can go on and on to talk about the intention of the space and what it means to me as I prepare it. I don't want to sound tacky, but... You use a high-quality tea. You don't, like you said, this isn't Lipton. You know, it was our intention to really try to find some kind of ideal intersection between quality and price. And I've been really fortunate. I feel like I've found a couple of things that 
um, that work that way. And actually, it didn't. It doesn't cost that much. I mean, I'm crazy about tea, so I'm willing to spend money on it. Mm-hmm. But you know, we found a tea from this place called Tenren, which is you know you can go down Grant in Chinatown and look for it. It has a green awning, T E N R E N. And they have a, it's called Roasted Dongding. It's from Dongding Mountain in Taiwan. It's a really dark, earthy roast, but it has like a kind of a fresh fruit kind of flavor as well. That tea, we can steep like eight or nine times, and it's super easy to make. It's not as finicky as some other teas. We get a lot of, you know, go out of that tea, and it's really, really well liked. If you've been to the tea house before and you tasted a dark, kind of earthy tea, that's what it is. And feel free to go and get it at, <laughs> at Ten Ren if you want more. But we've had other TJs come, and in fact, I. I was able to participate by giving ant tea. Can you tell us a story about the ant yeah. tea? <laughs> so, you know, there's all kinds of, I think it's beautiful that we could talk about all kinds of different alchemy that goes on in the tea house, tea temple. I don't really lay claim to all the alchemy there, and it, <laughs> I, it would be too big of a job at Burning Man to try. But um, it was an, an ant elixir, which was like a Chinese medical medicine elixir that um, included ant bodies, and um, there was a the kind abdomen, of yeah. there was a kind of um, yeah. I bet it. I bet it was like a certain. There's a certain kind of honey ants like that collects uh, dew in its abdomen, and so I think that's what it was. But um, you could see a kind of like precipitate and floating around in this clear package. It was pretty inspiring or weird or horrific, according to your own interpretation. <laughs> but um, we were pushing it. We were hyping it big time there. And um, there was a gentleman, I, I forget his name right now, but he was really excited to try it. It went really quick. And uh, <laughs> I know, I came, I was like, where's the tea? <laughs> It had an interesting kind of like sour, herbal, earthy kind of flavor that was really was really its own thing. So thank you. <laughs> Can you talk to me about your teachers and who trained you in the art of tea? Yeah. So my Buddhist master, um, his name is Baka Toku Rinpoche, and he is in his 60s. He's from the era in Tibet before the Chinese invasion. So he was pretty much the last generation of um, Tibetan Buddhists educated in the traditional style before the crackdown of the Cultural Revolution. As such, he's one of the most revered masters of, um, of this school of Tibetan Buddhism called the Nyingma school. It's basically the old school. He's a yogi, not a, a, a monk, which means he's in the world, but not of it, like the Sufis, and has no prohibitions against alcohol or sex. Um, so he has a wife and kids. His style is, he's not out giving empowerments a lot. His style is really personal. He teaches to a small, tight-knit family of, um, of practitioners. I had the good fortune of meeting him in the early 90s when I first started studying, practicing Buddhism. I was around 22, and um, just in 2000, um, I just actually, just after Burning Man, I moved down to live with him and attend to him for two years. And so I acted as a secretary, travel with him, practice with him every day. And... um, that's when I really became close and when I really um, felt like I got zapped uh, with this everything I bring to tea alchemy. How it started was I was just, um, he was dictating to me one day and he had been in Taiwan some years before and before coming back to the U.S. And so he brought out his tea set and started serving Gong Fu Cha uh, style Taiwanese tea. And I tasted it and it was revelatory. It was like, what the hell is this? And at that point, I became a tea idiot (laughs) and lost my mind. Tea Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) So you you talked a little bit about off tape about 
social movement in tea or the message of tea? Can you comment on that? Yeah. So, you know, back to the circle, the cup of community that I talked about before. Um, when I went to college, I went to Yale University and I was interested in two different things. One was Buddhism and spirituality. The other one was you know, social action, because I had spent three years working with this disabled uh, civil rights activist named Ed Roberts, who was big in the Bay Area, started the first Center for Independent Living and whatnot. So on the road and traveling with him, I really saw how much his personal style and the kind of small, like, just kind of mix-up sessions that he did with other activists was really what I thought was a lot of the invisible gears behind these movers and shakers in this social action movement. And I started really, last couple of years, really reflecting on how do I want to bring people together and what do I think is the most effective way to bring people together? And one other thing that I learned from him was that in disability civil rights movement, the big struggle was in all these professionals coming and saying, here, let me fix you, here, let me help you, you're broken, you're fucked up, and I'm going to tell you what you need to do and who you need to be, where you need to live and what you want. I started really acknowledging how this specialization is like really killing our communities. It's like really killing off all the capacities that we have in our communities to actually solve and address the unique problems and the, the problems as they come up day to day or the bigger problems. Another way to say it is we're um, suffering this incredible sense of isolation. And I think that Burning Man is like such a breath of fresh air in, in as a social movement in the other direction because it's all about play and reaching out and playing with people you don't know or that you've just met, not just people you do. It just occurred to me that the easiest way to get people together was around celebration and partying. If it could be done with a light touch of intentionality, then people would slow down long enough to just get to meet each other. And then if they're invited or when it's appropriate for them, then we could start asking for what we need from each other and really realize the rich bounty of our own communities. So the way I see the tea temple is that it's this cup of humanity that is set up to have us just stop, slow down long enough to just notice who's there. And the tea gets the mouth flowing, so we start talking to people, and then all the magic happens. So another way to say tea alchemy, what tea alchemy is, is that it's prepared by everybody there because everyone brings their own flavor, and without someone to serve, then there is no tea alchemy. In the tea temple at Burning Man, do you have magical moments you can share? Yeah. Um, so uh, late one night, uh, this it was about three or four in the morning, and this guy came in with uh, the string trailing the string mm-hmm. out the door, and uh, it was a kite that was like like hundreds of feet in the air and <laughs> in the dark that he was flying, and um, yeah, and. Well, when he first came in, it was the doorway. Everyone was coming in and, you know, people were, someone was trying to leave and got kind of caught in the string. So I said, try that other door over there. And then he came in, he was like, yeah, it's great. The wind is really good from that direction. And it was like the the wind gate and it was like three or four in the morning. It was just he and I and someone else just sitting there drinking tea. (laughs) That's great. Um, Two more questions. Tea at the Burning Man Tea Temple and uh, the American experience with tea, starting with the Boston Tea Party. What is the American experience with you? You've talked a lot about the Eastern. Let's talk about the American with. Cool. I, I'm, thanks for reminding me. So, you know, I, I saw this, I forget the name of the professor. He wrote this article called In Defense of Tea, Dissing Coffee. He was like speculating about why the hell, you know, it's like, we have such a strong coffee culture. The tea culture is pretty weak still. And why is that? And, you know, maybe it goes back to the Boston Tea Party. Maybe we associate tea with dependence and like we're all about independence. But, you know, like we've been talking about, I mean, we want to be free, but we don't want to be alone together, which is what we're facing right now. So 
maybe we've associated the high taxes that were put placed on the colonies for for tea and the the reality of people's addiction or their own personal kind of worship service to the the camellia sinensis plant was a bitter kind of cup for them and so there was a huge revolutionary reaction against tea it's ironic that coffee today is corporate coffee mm-hmm. in a huge way yeah so again you know we're looking at you know we could see like this artisanal tea um, movement as like this fair trade kind of struggle against big conglomerate corporations. I just saw this um, documentary yesterday called um, All in This Tea about this tea master and buyer named David Hoffman. He actually brought the tea and prepared the tea for this first tea ceremony, that tea alchemy ceremony we did at South Space some years back. You know, without getting too much into it, it is a big struggle because a lot of these big companies, the challenge of artisanal teas is that a bad one bad season can fuck up the crop and then they have to end up selling the stuff. So they don't like that. They want to just have uniform flavor. They want to have something they can depend on. And that is not what this is about. That's, you know, like James Norwood Pratt, who is this really famous tea ed and writer in the Bay Area, he said, we're looking for angel wings. We're looking for the scent of Cleopatra, not hint of artichoke (laughs) or grassy notes or some shit. So it's like um, there's this big struggle right now. And um, I I saw this, the results of this one um, study done by importers that artisanal teas are it's booming and it's it can it's like the wild wild west out here it's only going to get bigger the bay area has some of the best tea houses in the u.s besides it's just the bay area in new york right now pretty much so you know this is kind of like it hasn't even crested yet but you could see it as a struggle against the man <laughs> so come drink against the man at the tea temple so now I'm done with all my questions. Um, if you want to riff about anything that you're thinking about, or if you want to give advice to the Virgin Burner, or any closing statements about philosophy, anything you want, you can go on. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty nut. Nice. Yeah. You know, if you want to see, I could I could really go on and on. I'm so glad to have this opportunity. Thanks so much mm-hmm. for setting this up mm-hmm. to get the word out, because this is my passion. I love to serve people i found so much like sense of um just such a great opportunity to experience people through this kind of um container i'm really looking forward to meeting you folks out there whoever's listening also if you want to see any more like philosophical reflections on tea alchemy you should check out this website i put together called teaalchemy.org and it's um, spelled like a hybrid word with only one A. So it's www.teaalchemy.org. And if you want, you can click on our show notes at burncast.net and we, it'll be hyperlinked on our website. Yeah, so there's information about my teacher in there, but it's it's organized really organically like Roots where there are hyperlinks and, that go to pages with hyperlinks. So... It's just kind of like dig for your own treasure or whatever suits you. I want to give shout outs to the great tea houses and tea shops in the Bay Area. Um, you want to find great tea, check out like the links page on the Tea Alchemy website. And the last thing is just that uh, I wish everyone a happy burn, like everyone really a, a safe and like out there time. You come visit and It'll be a beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you. That was fun. That was delicious. That was tea master and tea alchemist John Oda of the Tea Temple, which will be returning to Black Rock City for 2007. For more information about John or the Tea Temple, just click on our show notes at burncast.net. You have been listening to Burncast, a podcast spreading the flames about the art, culture, and community of Burning Man. 
For more information, just visit our website, burncast.net. To contact us, please call the Burncast hotline at 206-350-1416 or click on the MyChingo audio recorder embedded at our website. A very special thanks to Lecter of NoSpectators.com for hosting these podcasts. Thank you.